Hi, my name is Josh Kazali. I'm the host of Monday Morningside, as well as the head of news and arts at WKCR. Um, this is the first episode of Monday Morningside, which is a new news show which airs on Mondays from 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning in New York City. Um, now, the first episode's live recording was lost, unfortunately, but I have compiled each of the segments which were aired that day, which you can hear throughout this episode. This first story is from John Halley, who's a programmer here at WKCR, and it's about the U.S. News ranking scandal, which Columbia was recently involved in. Now, there is an update to this story. Uh, Columbia was recently re-ranked by the U.S. News, and it got 18th place, which is actually the lowest of all the Ivy League schools. This story was reported on before that news was broken, but it still contains a lot of really interesting opinions about the rankings, how it matters, and how it factors into students' perceptions of Columbia. So I'll take it away to John now. In recent years, the American college application process has become increasingly cutthroat. Wealthy families pay thousands upon thousands of dollars towards SAT tutoring, private college counseling, and dubious collegiate donations. In 2019's highly publicized Operation Varsity Blues scandal, parents even faced jail time for bribing college admissions officers, all to guarantee their child a spot in one of America's top 20 universities. But who decides which universities are worth all this hassle? What motivates parents to risk fortune, jail time, and humiliation all for a diploma frame? The answer? The U.S. News and World Report college rankings. For 37 years, U.S. News and World Report has been ranking American universities using a plethora of metrics, including graduation rates, academic reputation, alumni donations, and more. As an Ivy League school, Columbia enjoyed many years in U.S. News' coveted top 20, most recently garnering 2021's number two spot on the list of best colleges, tied with MIT and Harvard. That was until July 8, 2022, when Columbia fell from number two to, well, nothing. Unceremoniously, U.S. News and World Report knocked Columbia from its perch of prestige, unranking the university from several categories, including 2022's best value schools, top performers on social mobility, and best national universities. U.S. News' decision to unrank Columbia stemmed from accusations made by one of Columbia's own, math professor Michael Thaddeus. Thaddeus claimed that the data Columbia self-reported to U.S. News was, quote, inaccurate, dubious, or highly misleading, end quote. Thaddeus determined that many of Columbia's self-reported stats misrepresented the school's true resources. For example, Columbia claimed that the student-to-faculty ratio was 6 to 1, when in reality, the ratio was somewhere between 8 to 1 and 11 to 1. Columbia also attested that 100% of faculty had the highest degree in their field when, in fact, that was not the case. While Columbia initially stood by their data when challenged by U.S. News to defend it, U.S. News ultimately found that Columbia was, quote, unable to provide satisfactory responses to the information requested, end quote. And with that, Columbia found itself from number two to nothing, unranked from the U.S. News' 2022 rankings and withdrawn from 2023's rankings for an internal review. 
When the news of Columbia's blacklisting went public, media outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post reported on the scandal, causing word of Columbia's malfeasance to spread widely in academia and among Columbia's student population. But how much does Columbia's ranking debacle actually affect the school's Ivy League reputation? Do students on campus really care? What role did rankings play in their college decision process, and has their perception of Columbia changed because of those recent events? To try and understand how students were feeling, I spoke to some undergraduates to gauge their perspective on Columbia's loss of rank. All right, so what year are you? Uh, 2026. Great, so you just got here? Yes, All right. first year. And when did you first hear about Columbia losing its number two ranking? Uh, I think it was like about a month ago, okay. something like that. And did that affect your perception of Columbia or your excitement about coming? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, it, was, it, sh- it would have been nice if the ranking was like intact, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that I, like, I stopped wanting to come here or anything like that. Absolutely not. And did the ranking play a role in your decision making to come here? I, I wouldn't say the ranking per se, but maybe the prestige a little bit. Right. Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. it had like something to do with it, yes. Uh, I'm a senior. Okay, great. And when you were applying to Columbia, did the ranking uh, with U.S. News or with any other ranking system matter to you in the application process? I don't think the ranking itself per se, but definitely I imagine kind of the notions of prestige were at least in the back of my head mm-hmm. while I was making decisions between schools. And did Columbia's loss of ranking have an effect on your perception of the institution? Honestly, no, because the allegations that were made were think- regarding like class size, things like that, were things that, to me, felt fairly apparent even before uh, those allegations were made last year. All right, so what year are you? I'm a first year. Okay, and when did you hear that Columbia lost its ranking? Sometime over the summer. This is like about the U.S. News mm-hmm. ranking, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, sometime over the summer, like July. And did its ranking in U.S. News play a role in your decision to come here or apply? Um, no. Uh, I deferred for a year, so I already, like, committed to the school. Okay. Uh, and did, did it affect your excitement or perception of the school coming into it? Not particularly. I mean, like, any high-powered institution is going to have quite a bit of dirt um, on it, so it didn't really surprise me. I I wouldn't say that I was surprised or disappointed, like, frankly, just apathetic. All right, what year are you? 2024, Columbia 2024. When it lost its ranking, did that affect your perception of the institution? Uh, No, I have the same professor I had last year, and he's as cool as ever. So... What are the rankings based on? Especially if it's uh, well-being or happiness. I'm as happy as ever at Columbia. Every undergraduate student I spoke to agreed that Columbia's loss of ranking on the U.S. News Best National Universities list did not affect their current experience at the school or their excitement to attend if they were a first year. And when I asked if the ranking played a role in their decision-making, almost everyone agreed that while the exact numerical ranking did not play a role, the prestige of Columbia and its Ivy League reputation certainly did. With Morningside Mondays, I'm John Howley. Once again, thanks to John for his coverage of the story. Um, It's a story that's continuing to unfold and affect Columbia's perception among students and, you know, the whole community. 
Uh, for more of John's content, you can tune into Soundstage, which is his main show, which airs every Sunday from 9 to 10 p.m. It's a radio play show. They do amazing work there. It's a super fun show. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, this next segment is from station manager Skylar Rabin-Burnbaum, and it's all about the new COVID restrictions and policies which are put in place by the university for the fall semester. Um, so I'll take it away to Skylar. Two weeks ago, Provost Mary Boyce announced revised COVID guidelines for the Columbia community. The new guidelines mapped out Columbia's ongoing strategy of attempting to balance an in-person return with the realities of the virus. As part of the new strategy, Columbia will no longer be providing free PCR testing for students, instead directing them to the various tents which operate around campus. Additionally, they recommend students utilize at-home COVID tests, which are available in pharmacies around campus. The following guidelines are also in place for the upcoming semester. For gatherings and meetings, there are no restrictions on social gatherings on or off campus, except for those in clinical related settings, including in clinical research contexts where indoor masking requirements remain in place. As for masking, masking in all classrooms will be required through September 30th to allow a smooth return to the classroom. Quote, we anticipate lifting this requirement unless public health conditions indicate otherwise. End quote. Masking in other indoor settings and clinical and clinical research settings and uh, ones with human research subjects as well as field research will be required. Masking is also required on Columbia-operated shuttles. Otherwise, masking will be strongly recommended in indoor settings. What does this mean inside the library, inside uh, any uh, dining hall or cafe? You will be free to take off your mask. Um, however, for classrooms, it still remains until the 30th. As for the symptom attestation, uh, Columbia will no longer be requiring any faculty, staff, or students, or even visitors to conduct daily attestation, but expect that everyone will take necessary precautions to stay home, as noted in the COVID-19 testing section. As for travel, there are no COVID-related restrictions on personal or Columbia-related travel. However, they are urging caution when traveling to countries on the CDC travel health notice list with a level of three or four or even level unknown. In addition, the international travel planning policy requirements remain and they will be updating the fall travel guidance as the semester goes along. Lastly, students, faculty, and staff found out last year that all members of the Columbia community must be vaccinated and then additionally boosted. This will remain in place. All faculty, staff, and students must have at least a full series of one of the vaccines and then an additional booster shot in order to remain on campus. Now, let's hear from a student on their perspective on the new requirements. Hello, ma'am. What year and school are you? I'm Columbia College, class of 2023. And how do you feel about the new masking guidelines, namely that masks are required in classrooms until September 30th and then become optional? So personally, I don't really see the big deal about masks. I don't really notice I'm wearing mine and it makes me feel a lot more safe. So never mind about COVID since wearing masks uh, has become more common. I really haven't gotten things like the cold, like the flu or colds, um, things I used to get, you know, several times a year. I, I kind of wish masking in public places, especially like classrooms or the subway, like really public places would stick around. And how do you feel about the new testing requirements 
that Columbia no longer offers free testing to students, but rather directs them to community tents around campus. I feel like this is sort of irresponsible. Like, I've found that sometimes getting tests through, like, community or, like, external sources can be really difficult and not as reliable, and the results are pretty slow. I think it would be way better for Columbia to keep, like, their in-house testing around so that students know they have a reliable, easy way of getting tests should they need to. And lastly, how do you feel about the vaccination strategy? Do you think it's the right way to go that Columbia requires not only the main series, but also a booster for all faculty, staff, and students? Absolutely. I really, I think, and I mean, this has been shown that vaccines are the way out of this pandemic, um, like they are for so many other pandemics, including polio and the measles. Um, Even though people still get COVID today, like thanks to accommodation of vaccines and masking, we're really avoiding a lot of serious illness and death. And you see that a lot of like these these COVID deaths that are still happening are in people that are unvaccinated. So I think that everyone who can get vaccinated, people who are non-immunocompromised, people that are healthy otherwise, and, you know, even people that are that are like older, like maybe faculty or staff, they absolutely should get vaccinated. Wonderful. Thank you. Also, another bit of news, this isn't related to the Columbia administration, but New York City has recently dropped its subway mask mandate. This came over the wire just around three days ago. Uh, Governor Hochul ended the masking requirements on the subway. And this is important because Columbia, of course, is home to 116th Street and Broadway, the stop for the one train. Many students, many faculty, many staff take that train and rely on it. So another piece of the puzzle for New York City's uh, COVID strategy. And that's going to wrap it up for this segment on COVID guidelines. Thanks to Skylar for his reporting on that one. And the COVID policies are something that are constantly sort of changing and being updated as we go along. So certainly check what it is at the time of you listening to this, because it might be different. The last segment from this episode was an interview I had with my good friend Watson Frank, who's a, an artist, a writer. He's amazingly talented and a really great storyteller, and he was an orientation leader at Columbia's NSOP program, um, which is new student orientation program. It's our orientation activities, sort of getting the freshmen adjusted to college life. Um, but this year they did it a little bit differently, um, so Watson has a really fantastically funny story, which... I will leave him to now. All right. I'm here with Watson Frank. How are you today, Watson? Hi. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Watson is an orientation leader at uh, NSOP, which is what we call our orientation program here at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get involved with orientation, Watson? Okay. So um, I am a sophomore, so it's my second year here at Columbia, and last year I went through um, my NSOP experience. Um, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Josh, but our NSOP was a little lackluster. <laughs> um, the programming was a little lacking. Um, and our orientation leaders, like the, the role that I held this year, um, they weren't held to do like too much stuff. Um, and as such, like some people didn't become very close with the orientation leaders, but I thankfully became really good friends with mine um, just sort of because of, like I reached out to them early and we were texting, things like that. 
So since I became such good friends with my orientation leader, I figured, why not do the same? I could make some great friends at the start of the year. <laughs> I could become friends with some freshmen, friends with other orientation leaders, things like that. So that was my thought process going in. Right, right. Yes, I, I totally agree. Our orientation was very sink or swim, you know, sort of let us out into the city, mm-hmm. which was, you know, exciting, but also a little bit scary. Yeah. And I mean, that sort of informed my decision to become an orientation leader also because I was like, oh, I'm not going to be expected to do a ton of stuff. <laughs> I'll lead a couple meetings. I'll have a talk to students about like alcohol and safety on campus. But then beyond that, I won't be expected to do too much more. Right. And <laughs> how did that end up? Well, it seems like this is the year they decided they're going to try and bring back NSOP in full force. Um, however, I think it's still pretty different from what it was pre-pandemic, but there seemed to be a large amount of planning that went into this NSOP. Yes, I, I would see it on, because I a lot of my friends are also orientation leaders, and I would see like on social media, like, they're in the forest. They're <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So this brings us to, to, to what we need to talk about. So this NSOP had a new feature. Um, all of the freshmen will be very familiar with this now. But for those who did not hear about this update to NSOP, um, they added these new uh, parts of NSOP, I guess the first two days after move-in. Um, and they're called the immersion experiences. And there was four of them. There was arts and media um, care, which was a more like activist-based um, immersion, um, explore NYC, and then the final one was co-op, which is a revival of a pre-pandemic program that ran before NSOP, um, and it stands for Columbia Outdoors Orientation Program, and it used to be a several-day-long uh, camping adventure. And they brought it back during orientation this year as a overnight camping adventure with your orientation group. So a 24-hour period, essentially. Yeah, a little bit more than 24 hours. Um, I did lead a co-op group. You were co-op. So I was (laughs) co-op. Shout out to all my fellow co-op leaders. Um, Yeah, so we left around noon-ish on Monday, the day after move-in. And then we came back, my group got back at around like 7.45 p.m. the next day. Okay, and I know a little bit about this. How did you get into co-op? Was that something that you selected or is this, was it fate? You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so I expressed interest in the program because I love nature. I love hiking. I love plants and animals. Um, and my orientation from the year prior, um, who she is now a senior, she was actually involved with co-op her freshman year. She did co-op as like an incoming student, um, pre-pandemic and she did co-op as a freshman and was very passionate about it in its form pre-pandemic. Um, and from what I know, she, uh, advocated for co-op to be brought back as a pre-orientation program, but instead it was, uh, added as a part of NSOP. Um, so... I, going along with her interest, was like, oh, yeah, I'll lead co-op. That'd be fun. Um, and it was it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what did co-op, I mean, how did the students, I know the students mm-hmm. had, there was like a selection process. Is that right? Yeah. So I, from, from what I understand, <laughs> um, when students were headed towards NSOP sometime over the summer, they were sent some kind of 
questionnaire to sort of figure out how they would be sorted into their immersion experiences, and from then, their orientation groups. Um, and from what I heard from my students is that questions, it, it was more of like a like a personality test kind of deal. <laughs> and then you got sorted into your immersion experience. So one of my students was like, yeah, like one of the questions was, do you like sleeping on the ground outside? <laughs> and I was like, oh, and you said, yeah, because now you're here. Um, and so it, and I think another question was like, do you like the great outdoors? Which, I mean, that did apply to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, you really learned to. <laughs> yeah, definitely did. Um, so yeah, that is what I... From my understanding, how how the students were sorted into their respective uh, wow. So, so then what? They just ship them out to yeah. Where where was the co-op? So was... we were in Berryville, New York, which is I don't know. It was like less than two hours by bus, um, upstate, no phone service, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> I think it's important to note that uh, like the. From what I understand, Barry, the the campsite that we went to was the same that they used pre-pandemic. Um, like I th- I think it's like the same company, et cetera. But obviously, pandemic time, space, et cetera. Um, and the person, the student who was in charge of like organizing co-op and stuff, she was working with like limited time, limited funds, um, and, and then sort of again a student, a student, a student had to plan all of this with <laughs> some help, by. with some help from um, the, orient- the the NSOP coordinator. But obviously, there's like a handful of people from university student life, like I'm talking probably less than five, who are then in charge of like nine students who are on this like committee that run NSOP, and co-op was one ninth of all of that. And so what ended up happening and once I get into my little, I, I'll, I'll enumerate what my experience was like. Um, but a lot of the things that we ended up running into were definitely just like logistical and sort of organizational issues that are a result of that kind of like bureaucratic breakdown where right. a lot ends up falling on one person's shoulders and she did the best that she could with what, with yeah. what she had. I mean, I think in theory it sounds... I mean, it, it sounds very fun. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people go to summer camps and they mm-hmm. really enjoy that sort of activity. And but I mean, I from what I've heard from my orientation students, they had a blast, which yeah. is, I can't ask for much more than that. Um, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that was but, your yeah, co-op but, but my co-op experience was a little bit, a lot of bit draining. Um, and I've, I felt personally underprepared. We had, we had done so much, we had spent so much time packing and making sure we had enough food and making sure we had enough sleeping bags that I was hardly even first aid trained. Um, I barely knew where we were going. I could hardly answer a lot of my students' questions about, oh, well, can I bring this much or this much or that much or this, that, whatever? And I was like, whatever the packing list you were sent, (laughs) which I haven't even seen that packing list, I'm sure it was correct. Um, So, yeah. And was there any sort of training before they sent you out? So the week before NSOP as a whole, we had orientation leader training. um, And... I moved in on a week before I left for a co-op, so a Monday. I move in Monday. We have, like, some small sort of intro training for just regular NSOP. And we spent Monday, Tuesday, and, well, yeah, the rest of Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday all doing, like, orientation leader training. Right. Not specific for immersion experiences. Thursday was dedicated for immersion experiences. 
And like I said, we spent most of that day packing things because there was so much to pack. I mean, we're talking well over 300 students, which means there's like, I don't know, like 20, 30 orientation leaders. And we have to make sure that they all have sleeping bags. If they couldn't bring one, we have to make sure they have enough food. They have enough everything, really, for overnight, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. Yeah. Um, And so then the training time ended up being all of like, two hours being like, hey, this is where we're sending you. By the way, you're going to be rafting nine miles. And we're like, oh, what? No way. That's crazy because I like hiking and that's what I thought I was doing. We're rafting. That's great. That's great. So you get to the place. Yeah. What's, how did it go for you? So essentially what happened was for the students that were going on co-op, there's over 300 of them. They were split into two different groups. There was Group A and Group B. Group A was going to, like, one campsite, rafting three miles immediately, spending the night, like, wherever they ended up, um, and then going back on the raft the next day, six more miles, make it to the finish site. That's Group A. And I was in Group B, which was we get to a campsite, a completely different one. Um, We sort of just hang out for the day. And then the next day we do nine miles all in one go. And there were sort of jokes going around the first at first being like, oh, like the nine miles in one day, people have it so easy. But boy, were they wrong. <laughs> um, so we end up at this campsite. The bus is pulling up. And of course, the bus that I'm in is the first one to show up. And immediately uh, we're like noticing like, OK, like we don't really know what this layout is. It doesn't quite look like the map that we had been shown of the campsite. And in hindsight, I think it would have been nice if we could have seen it maybe like <laughs> like if if we had visited the campsite ahead of time but like i said limited resources limited time um so we get to the campsite and immediately this old guy comes out he is like walking up to the bus and he starts like berating he's like where are, who's in charge in this bus and it's it's all students i mean it's like <laughs> there's like three or four orientation leaders in this bus and then just a bunch of like freshmen, like <laughs> NSOP freshmen. And like the orientation leaders were like, oh, like we're in charge. And he's like, well, you know, your folks down at the, the other campsite have all their stuff laying around acting like they need a bellhop to help them figure out their stuff. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? Like, I, like, I, I, I okay. Like, I, okay. Like, all right. Um, we proceed to have to like reason with this guy like, and explain to him that like, we aren't really in contact with this other group, this other group, like their problems are not our problems at the moment. Um, and then he like has us go inside and he's like, you can talk to my daughter inside. And we're like, okay. And we're like, oh, like, well, like, what do you want us to do? And he was like, well, you know, like you guys have too much stuff. And we're like, okay, like, <laughs> what are we supposed to do about that? Like, I'm sorry. And like, I'm not, we, we don't have phone service. We can't get in contact with the other people. Like, there's not really much we can do for you right now. Um, Which and- also these orientation leaders are a year older. Yeah, I I am barely a year older than most of these students and I'm having to act like I somehow know what's going on. I like gave him the phone number of the person that was in charge of NSOP, but like at that point, it's like, okay, like (laughs) we are here. What Like tell us what we are supposed to do. Um, I mean, this guy's like, you city slickers. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, So we like end up figuring out where the campsites are. And I will say that first day was like pretty good vibes. Um, I had like my students like compete to figure out how to build the tents because I didn't know how to build a tent. Like <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with y'all, I'm I like hiking, camping. 
I'm not super experienced with. Like, <laughs> if you know you me, you just love the great outdoors. I, <laughs> I love plants and animals. <laughs> um, so things sort of got sorted out. But as the night starts going on, we're like, okay, we have to make dinner. And to make dinner, we have to use these, like, gas-top stoves from pre-pandemic and have not they been had, used since then. They had you. You were supposed to cook. Me. Me and my, my fellow orientation <laughs> leaders, we were, we were supposed to cook. So they had given us, like, a bell pepper, three onions, a meat stick, some tortillas, and beans. Um, so that's what we were working with, which, like, yeah, you can make something edible with that, right? But we had to figure out how to use these gas stoves. And... The way there was no manual, we did not go over during training. And I was like, I'm about to start like a serious fire. Like I'm <laughs> going to start a fire. I'm going to cause an explosion. Um, and in fact, I, I ended up figuring out how to do it. And I had to like help other people figure out how to do theirs. And like half of the stoves were broken, like <laughs> fully. Like when you'd screw the gas canister onto like the valve, just gas going everywhere and people oh the students would be like why does this one like gas and I'd be like because there's like there's <laughs> gas coming out of this gas canister um and I like I really went into like parental mode with these kids um and it, I mean it, like I said I'm like a year older than most of these people yeah they're they not are, kids they're, they're 18 you're 19 I'm, I'm like we are grown yeah. adults here and I I mean it I I was like the authority figure, so I understand, but it was very strange feeling like I was in this situation where now like I'm not getting paid to do this. I'm just like my mindset was like, oh, I want to make friends. I'm here to enjoy my time with people. But all of a sudden I'm like having to be like a parent to people that I'm barely older than. And beyond that, I sort of felt like my like kindness and like my empathy and my like wanting these people to have a good experience was being almost like taken advantage of because it's like I am like making food I am <laughs> you'll hear the more things that I had to do but it's like I, I'm putting myself on the line for what like because out of the kindness of my heart and yeah. yeah and I think a lot of other orientation leaders felt very similarly where it's like we're having to put all these other people in front of us yeah like in that great outdoors and it wasn't necessarily what we had signed up for or what we had expected yeah I mean it sounds like there was like this is not exactly yeah what up for. so we figure out the dinner situation um, we end up like having just sort of hanging out. We have some like group conversations that were fun. And then they're like, it's time to build a campfire. And I'm like, I don't know how to build a campfire. What they taught us in training was, oh yeah, like you can try the teepee method. And I'm like, try, like <laughs> I've never built a fire. Like what? And thankfully one of my students really took charge and was like, I contend the fire. And I was like, go for it. But <laughs> it was definitely a type of hit or miss, mostly miss situation. Um, I don't know. We just kept moving. And then it started to become nighttime. or it's, It is nighttime. Or it's time to go to sleep. One of my students is like, I lost my sleeping bag. And I'm like, oh, like, oh that's okay. Like, don't worry. I don't know how you lost it. It's not my problem. And I'm just like, here, take mine. Because, wow. of course, right, like, like I said, it's like the, oh, I'm putting others before myself. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Where the hell am I supposed to sleep? Because <laughs> I'm not about to crawl into a sleeping bag with... One of these freshmen, that's just not <laughs> happening. So I'm walking around asking people, oh, does anyone else have an extra sleeping bag? And this one girl's like, oh, I found an extra sleeping bag. And I'm like, oh, my God, no way. She gives it to me. Not like an hour later, some uh, some girl comes over to my group and was like, hey, like, somebody said that, like, like they gave my sleeping bag away. And I was like, <laughs> no way. So someone just took a sleeping bag that was this random girls and was like, this one's free. Like that is not how any of this works, whatever. So 
I'm sleeping bagless. It's like 12 p.m. And 12 p.m. or a.m. Okay. Yeah, okay. 12 Time. midnight. 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 Okay. And I still don't have a sleeping bag. So what ended up happening was um, another orientation leader who loved to bits and was yeah loved to bits. Um, she's like, I have an Eno, like a, a hammock, like. Would you want to sleep on it? And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea, right? Like, it can't get that cold. It's summer, like outdoors. (laughs) So I set up the hammock. Also, that that same girl who gave me her hammock, she also didn't have a sleeping bag. Oh, wow. So there was a handful of missing sleeping bags at this point. Um, Yeah. So I set up my hammock. I crawl in. I'm like, wow, this is going to be a fun night sleeping in a hammock. Fall asleep. Wake up not an hour later, shivering. (laughs) Because, of course, we're next to moving water. I'm like... I had brought like a long sleeve shirt, but I and like a rain jacket, but nothing more. Um, so I'm really f- cold. Excuse my language, and I'm like, okay, what what do I do here? And I decided I was gonna go to the the bathroom because there was a bathroom at this campsite, luxury glamping. Am I right? And there was a hand dryer that did warm air. So I go to this bathroom. I turn the warm hand dryer on, and I'm like, like flicking <laughs> the air into my face, and like. Trying to like crawl underneath it. It was it was a low moment for sure. And Definitely. you haven't even rafted. Yet. We haven't even rafted yet. We <laughs> we are we are one night in. Oh my gosh. Also, like I think it's worth mentioning that I like totally had an anxiety attack before I went to sleep. Like me and one of the other orientation leaders, we like laid and looked at the stars and held hands while both of us were like <laughs> going through it due to external reasons, but also like the this is overwhelming. Um, and we still hadn't rafted yet. So I end up being like, okay, I'm going to go back to my hammock. I will grab all of the clothes that I brought, which were not much. Obviously, it's one day. And I will just, like, cuddle up with it. And as I'm walking back, I bump into the other orientation leader who didn't have a sleeping bag, the one who gave me the hammock. I'm like, where have you been sleeping? She's like, oh, i just been sitting in one of these, like, picnic chairs. And I was like, so you haven't been sleeping? And she's like, yeah, actually, I've been trying to ward off all the skunks. (laughs) Skunks. All the skunks. And I'm like, what do you mean all the skunks? And as if on cue, out comes this, I'm talking like Labrador-sized skunk. Maybe not that big, but a big, sorry, a big freaking skunk. And it um, walks, like, gets real close to us. And she's like, okay, but, like, they're scared of light. And I'm like, how do you know these things? Like, <laughs> go off, Girl Scout. Um, so we end up scaring the skunk away. But, of course, it runs straight towards where my hammock is. Classic. Um, it runs into the woods behind it, and I just like, I'm like I'm gonna face my fear. It won't get me if I'm in the hammock. I'm so tired. I don't even care. So I crawl into my hammock, and I pretty much just lay there for like two, three more hours until six a.m., where we wake everybody up. We make breakfast. They gave us like cinnamon rolls. You cannot make cinnamon rolls with a gas stove. <laughs> we did not have pots that could make cinnamon rolls. Maybe someone out there knows how to do that, but simply I do not. Um, Didn't come in the training. Did not come in the training, unfortunately. <laughs> so we keep moving from there. Everyone like packs up their stuff. We're like, okay, we're gonna get on the water like, um, like before nine. Blah blah blah. Like the company's gonna be here. X Y Z. Well, nine o'clock rolls around, and the people that are supposed to be helping us get on the water still aren't there. And this actually becomes like a serious concern because we were told you're supposed to get on the water by nine, and then you're supposed to like make it to the end before four. And so that gives, like, seven hours of room. And they were like, oh, yeah, it shouldn't take you more than six hours. So obviously everyone was expecting, like, oh, we'd make it to the end by three-ish. Well, what ends up happening is the company that was putting us on the raft shows up, like, around, like, 930. 
And so this is like 150 students at this campsite start getting put onto the rafts. My group didn't even get on the water until like 1045 um, because there's so many people getting on rafts. Like it's yeah, it's not four people per raft. You have like easy. 150 yeah. people. It's a lot of rafts. It's a lot of rafts, a lot of rafts, a lot of stuff, a lot of everything. Like it's it's a lot um, like mass organization. Right. And one small, tiny, like an hour off really has potential to cause some issues. So it's at this point, I also noticed on the weather forecast, it says it's going to start raining at some point. And like, not just like rain, like torrential downstorm, like downpour, which becomes a real issue because you can't be on the water if it's lightning and thundering. Yeah, um, and also that sounds like a really bad experience. <laughs> Imagine like you just moved into Columbia and like, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to start college. No, you're on a raft in the rain <laughs> in the middle of New York without your phone, without no service, service. Yeah. like slept in the crazy. cold. You, you just slept either out, outdoors or in a tent with seven other people. Like, <laughs> that's how you get them to bond, I will say. My <laughs> students, they bonded. Um, so we get in our rafts, we're going down the water, and we immediately start noticing that, like, this water is very shallow. And we had been told it was very shallow because the whole other thing was, like, people had brought up concerns, like, oh, do our students know how to swim? And they were like, oh, like... The water is shallow, is what we were told every time. So essentially, the students were not asked if they knew how to swim, which that's a whole other thing. Um, yes. So the boats keep getting stuck, and we're like, oh, this is not good. And then we start noticing there's a headwind. So like we are like paddling <laughs> like against rocks and wind, and we're like, what is going on? Like We were paddling hard and like barely moving sometimes. And maybe about like a third of the way in, so a couple hours, maybe like an hour or two. Um, the people that organized it are like, there's like a road that sort of goes alongside like the river and they start like shouting at us and like, guys, you're like behind schedule. You need to paddle faster. <laughs> and the people on my boat were like, we've been paddling this whole time. Like, what do you mean we're behind schedule? And like, there is, th that's like the only communication I really get at like almost the whole entire time up until we stopped maybe about like every boat stopped about halfway so that way they could tell us you're really behind schedule you need to paddle even faster which i was like oh well we just stopped for a while maybe we should have been going but besides the point um we paddle for i don't know let's say like the two-thirds of it we are paddling hard wow. whatever so it's a workout too. it's it's a workout like and that's about when we start getting tired we had like a moving lunch so like the raft is still moving i'm like pulling out a block of cheese and I'm like, who wants cheese? Um, and we had like hummus and pita bread or something. Like there was food, but it was, it was slim pickings. Um, and at this point we're, we're like looking for the markers that we were told like mile eight, like right before the end is when you see like this one specific sign and like mile like seven is when you see this bridge. And we're like, how have we not seen any of these things? Like how far have we gone? And I like, it was pretty insane how long it takes to do nine miles. I think, A, we underestimated how long nine miles takes because they didn't account for a headwind, yeah. shallow water. And then maybe with like an hour left, it does start to rain. It's not lightning or thundering, but it is like it's raining. Um, and so <laughs> to keep our spirits high, I'm like scream singing on this boat because I <laughs> – I'm just as anxious as these students are, and they have no idea. Or maybe they do have an idea. I really couldn't tell you. But, like, my goal was, like, okay, I just want to make it to the end. At this point, yeah. this is survival. Like, <laughs> I do not want to be caught out here when it's lightning and thundering. Um, we've already been paddling for, like, five hours. Like, a long time. I mean, we got on, like, at 10.30, 10.45. And at this point, it's, like, 
three. Um, and so we're paddling hard. It's starting to rain. Like the sun comes out while it's still raining and then the sun goes away and it's still <laughs> raining. And we're singing like like the bottles of milk on the wall wow, song. And yeah, I was yeah. like, wow, like my mind, I'm so creative, just kidding. Um, <laughs> and my group finally makes it to the end at 3.45. And our boat was actually one of the first few to make it, even though we were like towards the end in terms of like boats getting launched. Um, and my actually like, not just my boat, but my entire group is the first group to make it to the end. And we all made it there before four o'clock. And that was like when the buses were meant to leave. Well, the buses aren't even showing up until 4.30 <laughs> because of course they are, um, classic. And at this point, it also is starting to rain like harder uh, to the point where it's like, okay, like it would be bad if people were still on the water at like around 4.30 and there Which are still people on the people water. Most people are. There was, yeah, the people that were like in the latter half were still on the water. Um, so my whole group gets onto a bus. We know there's some people that still are out of the water. Um, I think by the time it lightning and thundered, everyone except for maybe one or two boats were still on the water, which is like, wow, I'm glad that a lot of us made it. But everyone is soaking wet. Plant, everything is way behind. Like we were meant to leave at four. Now my group is sitting in a bus at like 5 p.m. And this bus isn't leaving because the bus driver also doesn't have service and needs like the other bus drivers to confirm where they're going. So like everyone is soaking wet. This bus has the AC on full blast. Oh, no. So everyone's cold, wet. All of our stuff is wet because it was on our wraps with us. Even though it was in wet bags, the wet bags did not hold up. Yeah. Um, and the vibe is, like, pretty bad. Like, the general re- review I got back from my students was they enjoyed everything except for the last mile of rafting and the bus ride. And, I mean, yeah. also, all of them immediately fell asleep because... They're exhausted. Duh. Yeah. We just rafted nine miles nine against miles wind. Like... <laughs> Nine miles is a lot, you guys. Nine miles is a lot, especially when it is not a lazy river. It is a very not lazy river. Um, and what ended up happening is finally our bus leaves. We made it back to campus at, like I said, 745. We we're supposed to have a pizza party um, immediately after. And my students are like, please, can I just go shower? And I'm like, of course. And we're told that the pizza party is going to get pushed back to 830. And we're like, perfect. Great. Sounds phenomenal. Well, what we weren't told was that the other group, the group that did the three miles and the six miles, had actually gotten back way earlier than us because they They, avoided the rain. They had a beautiful morning. (laughs) They were on a different part of the river, and apparently their part of the river, like, was, like, strong current, no wind. I'm like, shut up. So they had made it back to campus at, like, 4 p.m. So all of them are, like, dressed nicely. They're feeling good (laughs) when we arrive. And they had also told their students that the pizza pizza party started at 8 so my students get back. I'm like, everyone, go shower. Like, go rest. Come back at 8.30. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the students from the other group show up at 8, eat almost all the pizza. <laughs> and then my students come back, and there's, like, no pizza left. Oh. And it was so sad. I mean, I think I think everyone who, like, wanted some pizza got some. But Still, there was insult definitely insults and mm-hmm. injury. And the, the worst part is the people that did get stranded because they didn't make it back on time. They were, like, in the lightning and the thunder or whatever, that boat. They didn't make it back to campus until like 8.30, 8.40, and they definitely didn't get pizza. So, oh. <laughs> I mean, there might have been a handful of people who got pizza. I can't I can't speak for sure, but they definitely didn't get seconds. I can say that with absolute certainty. <laughs> um, and, like, I'm sure for those people it was a traumatic experience. And yeah. then immediately after, so, right, like, I am, like, running a pizza party after barely showering after getting back because I just slept for, like, 30 minutes the night before and paddled for nine miles leading a bunch of students like 
My, at this point, I'm like barely co- like can put a sentence together. And then they're like, okay, now we need to help make sure everything's aired out. So now I'm like airing out stuff after running a pizza oh. party. And I didn't get back to my room that night until like 11.45. And I expected to run events the next day. Wow. Because it's regular and sob then. Then after you're just that. back into trying to adjust these 18-year-olds to into, college, into college. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, I just slept outside with skunks, <laughs> rafted nine miles while in parental mode. Yeah. And having, like, mental health problems of my own, barely got any sleep, come back, try and fall asleep in my room that I have only been living in for, like, a week. So it's, like, barely decorated. I feel like I'm in an asylum. And then I have to go and lead more stuff the next day. Wow. And yeah. It was one of those things where I'm like, okay, like I'm happy to do this, like I said, like for my students and whatever, but I definitely sort of felt like taking advantage of um, yeah. in terms of like what I was expected to do and what I was expecting to do. Yeah. Um, you definitely went above and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even, all the other leaders did such a good job too. I think everyone, ooh, everyone involved. Okay. Um, yeah, I think like. Every leader went so above and beyond of, like, what I think we were expecting to have to do. Um, and, I mean, like like I said, the student who coordinated it, like, she really did as the best that she possibly could have with, like, the materials and the budget and the time constraint that she was given. But yeah. overall, like, it was traumatic. And it I, crazy. <laughs> I felt burnt out, capital B, before <laughs> people even started moving in here. And as soon as I was like, oh, I'm getting used to this normal of, like, being a parent, question mark. <laughs> and then all my friends are back, and they're like, ooh, like, party time. And I'm like, not Ugh. I. Ugh. Yeah, so. Well, after all that, I can tell you, those freshmen will <laughs> walk into classes and say, this is easy. No, this. <laughs> oh, no, it keeps doing it. This better be the best story ever. I, I like, I, yeah, they better remember, they better remember co-op. 2022, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, um, after such a traumatic experience, was, what was the the best memory to come out of co-op? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, even though it was traumatic, it was, it was fun. Like I said, was it fun? Yes. Was it overwhelming? Also, yes. <laughs> Would I do it again? TBD. <laughs> um, and like I'm, I did genuinely make some great friends. I'm friends with my orientation students. Right, I, I ran into you in the library mm-hmm, today with my students. I think that like compared to the camaraderie I had with my orientation group, I think my group is far closer. Like we had students sharing like personal stories and personal details about themselves that definitely didn't occur with my group. Um, like my group, as in like when I was in NSOP last year. So I'm I'm super thankful for that, and I'm super happy with how that turned out. But it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, like, at what cost? As in, like, my mental health, and like, w- like, like I've said, every orientation leader is volunteer, and I feel like there was a lot of us who were like, how are we not getting paid? And I was asked well over fifteen times, like, like are you getting paid from students? And I was like, nope, I'm not. I'm just here because I love you. And I do. I do love you. But yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, it sounds like a lot, but <laughs> it's a great story. It's a great story. It's a story I'll be telling for a long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> As will they. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Watson. Of um, course. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Uh, to those freshmen out there, uh, maybe 
hoping to be a freshman, maybe. Thank your orientation leader. Thank your intro. Send them a text and be like, hey, you did a great job. I love you. And they'll say, <laughs> they'll say I love you too. Because they do. Because they right. do. Thanks to Watson for being on the show. And thank you for listening. Um, this is the end of the very first episode of Monday Morningside. Uh, from here on out, it will be mostly live recordings of the show, which you can tune into um, live Monday mornings from 8.30 to 9.30 Eastern Time. Um, that's 89.9 on the dial here in New York City, as well as wkcr.org online. You can listen live and you can listen pre-recorded. Thanks again. I'm Josh Kazali, and this has been Monday Morningside.